0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Coach Growth Podcast. I am your host, Andrew McGackie. Welcome back for the second episode of the Coach Growth Podcast. Today, I want to talk about what to do when you're presented with new information or new ideas for your program or team. How do we decide ultimately who to listen to, who to take ideas from? and what do we do with this new information, how do we implement it, and how do we decide ultimately if it's good for our team. So this this podcast episode seemed relevant given um, the meeting I was at on Saturday night. So Saturday night, if you're part of the sprint world, then you know who Tony Holler is, as well as Ryan Banta. For those of you who are not part of the sprint, world you might not tony holler is the head track coach at plainfield north he's a nationally renowned sprint coach he is the founder of the feed the Cats system as well as the track football consortium and feed the cats is a minimalist approach training system basically what's the minimal effective dosing full recovery between reps and he's really challenged the way coaches of all sports are starting to perceive training. You know, he's really challenging the norm. He's very adamant against that old school grind mentality that's very prominent, especially in football. You know, this whole notion that I have to outwork my opponent. You know, it's all about toughness, that kind of thing. His approach is, what works, I'm gonna do as little of it as possible to get the result I want. And I'm going to keep my athletes healthy and happy And then Ryan Banta, he is a head sprint coach in Missouri. He's the author of the Sprinters Compendium, which is an amazing resource. I highly recommend it for anyone that trains a, not only sprinters, but anyone that coaches a speed power sport. It's an excellent resource. He pulled together the top sprint coaches in the country, asked them a series of questions and published their answers. You know, it's, it's a huge book, but it's a well worth it. I've referenced it many times over the last couple of years. And I, so I can't recommend it enough. Ryan is a head track coach in Missouri who's had a lot of success. He, his approach is more volume-based. While he is not the extreme opposite end of Tony as far as the volume metric goes, You know Tony, Tony being the extreme minimal dosage, Ryan, you know the debate Saturday night was specifically over 400 meter training. Tony's 400 meter runners, he trains with his sprinters, and for anyone outside of track, a lot of times 400 meters fall either into sprinters, but then they also have you know there was the notion that they need to do a lot more aerobic work because you know the 400 is a long sprint. This thinking really comes from Clyde Hart, who's the greatest 400 meter coach of all time. Uh, from his time at Baylor, and he would have his sprinters, his 400-meter runners, do a lot of aerobic work in the beginning of the season, and then gradually increase the intensity and decrease the volume as the season progressed, and then at the end of the season do pure speed work. Tony's approach is we're not going to run more than 200 meters at a time in practice. We're going to run everything at max speed, and it's going to be full rest in between, and they're, you know, you're just working max velocity training year route. Ryan, on the other hand, does incorporate some, vo- a lot more volume into his training approach. You know, his 400 meter runners are doing tempo work. They're running 350 meters, 450 meters. Um, I believe he said up to 600 meters sometimes as far as reps for intervals. Now, a lot of young coaches were watching this, trying to figure out what's best for their system, and it was an excellent debate. I got a lot out of it from both of them. Personally, I've been running for the last two seasons, and I know this season was incredibly abbreviated, but we've been doing Feed the Cats. I found out about it on Twitter, and I remember thinking about trying to implement it and talking to other coaches about it, you know, and hearing it's not enough volume. It doesn't work. You'll be really good at the one, two, but you won't be good at the 400. It's not a good idea. You need to add more volume. And so two years ago I started to implement it. I had my sprint coach focus more on max velocity. Whereas the years before we had done more of a volume approach, you know, I had a sprint coach for two years who came from a background of a lot of volume. You know, he was a 400 runner, but he also ran cross country. So he was, you know, A believer in longer distance training and then you know tapering down and just doing max speed work to get this peak at the end of the season a lot of coaches do that and it's worked for a lot of coaches and then i had a new sprint coach and i wanted to try because you know we were getting decent success in the 400 but our 100 200 uh sprint times were not what i wanted them to be and you know just from uh logistics standpoint as a as a head track coach if you've got a good one two guy then you've got a four by one you've got a four by two you know that's four events if you've got a 400 guy you know not that there aren't kids that can do it all because obviously there are Kamari Montgomery was the state champion in the 100 the 200 and the 400 and then was the national 400 meter champion at Houston there are kids that can do it both or that can do all of it I should say but I knew I needed to. incorporate more max velocity work into our training to get better at the 100 and 200. So I got a new sprint coach, sat down, talked to him about it. He's, he was on board with the idea. So we started implementing Feed the Cats, but we didn't buy into it completely. We did get better at the 1-2. We were still really good at the 400. But then this coming season uh, that, unfortunately, we lost, we decided you know, that this was going to be the year Let's go all in. Let's do Feed the Cats. Let's lay it out in the format that Tony advocates and set up for, you know, to really get the most out of the program. And we were seeing good results. And before we lost the season, our fly 10 times were good. Everything was good. And, you know, it worked really well. The kids really enjoyed it. Some kids did not buy into it because they just, you know, we're out of shape. This isn't working. Like, I'm too tired. Which is a whole can of worms that I'm not going to get into. But... I looked at, into it a lot, and I decided, you know, this is what I want to do with my program. It also helped that I paid to t- for my assistant to come with me to the Iowa coaches uh, Track Coaches Clinic, which I've gone to the last couple of years, and it's, every year it has been amazing. And Tony Holler was a keynote speaker, so I made him go specifically to listen to Tony Holler so he could understand why I wanted to do this, and he bought everything he said, hook, line, and seeker. While Tony is an amazing sprint coach, he's also an amazing salesman because if if you just listen for five minutes, he's going to make you buy into everything he's doing, and which isn't a bad thing. I'm I you know I drink the Kool Aid, but then you know Ryan on the opposite end of the spectrum. Saturday night, you know, listening to him, I, I was thinking, man, you know everything he's saying is making a lot of sense, and you know I'm thinking. Man, should I should I change to Ryan's system, which he calls critical mass system? And you know, having that debate in my head. One of the things I found out about myself really early in my coaching career is I was very impressionable, and I know a lot of young coaches fall into this. You hear something a uh, smarter, more experienced, more successful coaches said, and you, it's like gospel. You're like, okay, what he said is right. I got to do what he said. And then, you know, the next year maybe you hear something different, boom. Something switches, you change systems. And this just kind of repeats on cycles every year after year. You know, you go to a new clinic, you hear something. And this isn't just me, and then I know this isn't just track coaches. You know, there are football coaches, you know, offense or defense. It doesn't matter. You know, one year you're running the double tight wing T offense. You go to a clinic, you hear about Mike Vrabel's air raid offense, there you go. Hey, that looks like a good idea. We're going to do that. Or, you know, same thing on defense. Hey, we've ran a five, two for years. You go to a clinic. Wow. That four, three coach made a lot of sense. We're going to run a four, three the next year. Hmm. You know, I like what this coach says about the three, four, I'm going to run the three, four. And you know, it goes from sport to sport. You hear new information and sometimes you're impressionable and you decide that you want to try it. But how do you decide what to try? You know, if everything everybody says makes sense, how do you pick and choose what to use? And it really ultimately comes down to what makes the most sense for you as a coach, because it doesn't matter the system you run. If you can't one proper, properly implement the system and then, you know, coach it. So for me, feed the cats worked because I have a very small staff. I have one assistant for a lot of events and for multiple event groups, you know, so I've got throws, I've got distance, I've got jumps, I've got, um, you know, and, and then those are all broken up. High jump, the uh, pole vault, long and triple, shot put, discus, one, two, four, eight hundred 800 miler, two milers, and then you got relays and hurdles, and it's just a lot. Feed the Cats really simplified it, so all speed power um events which are throwers which the throwers did less but then you have hurdlers and sprinters and jumpers they're all doing the same thing every day and then on the days that we aren't doing max velocity sprint work we're doing technical work plyometrics and it, it ran very smoothly it was very easy to organize practice there's no periodization or peaking that you need to really program into what you're doing you just do speed work three times a week you you uh trinkle and lactate workouts every now and then. Very, very easy to schedule and program, and I didn't need to be there to oversee it. I had the calendar written up, we're gonna do this on this day, this on this day, gave it to my assistant, it was very easy. And it's very simple, and it's also very quick, which is huge. That was one of the debate things that came up. You know, Tony's practice is usually less than an hour long, Whereas Coach Banta was saying his practices are sometimes over two hours. Some coaches, you know, I'm one of the, I'm guilty of this. I love being at track practice. I absolutely love it. I love being there and I love staying late and coaching kids. And I love it when kids want to stay late. It's particularly my throwers. So I'll be at practice for two plus hours. That's not uncommon for me. But some coaches can't. You know, they have a wife and kid at home. They have a family, they have a night job, which you know I do as well, I'm not a teacher, so I work after practice most days. So I do have that time constraint, but the days that I don't work, I'm there as late as I can be, as late as the kids want to be. I love being at practice. So not only do you have to look at your time as a coach, but you also have to look at the time that your athletes have. I'm obviously looking through most things as a track coach in that lens, but let's say, take let's say a strength coach for example. If you go to a, a clinic or consortium and you hear about the mm, the best strength program ever, ever written, but the workouts are an hour 45 each, but you teach high school weight training, and after you know period changes and getting dressed, you have 40, 45 minutes for your kids to do a workout. You can't use it. It's just not practical. It doesn't matter how good it is if you don't have the time and your athletes don't have the time to use it, it doesn't matter. So you'll have to modify it, or you'll have to find something different. So time is a huge factor, not just as you as a coach, but for your athletes. And then there's, you know, do you have the ability to use it? So Coach Banta's program, one of the things that really fascinates me, but intimidates some coaches is every athlete, for the most part, has their own individual workout it's lumped together in groups so i mean there are kids that will have the same workout but you could have 400 meter runners that you know they do the same events but they're different kind of athletes so they're going to have different programs this is something that's really drawn my attention lately that i've really been doing a lot of reading on and research on is the individual periodization and peaking process of athletes as a throws coach one of the guys that i get a lot of things from that i've stolen a lot of things from over the years is dane miller Dan Miller is the owner, founder of Throws University. He also owns um, Garage Strength out of Pennsylvania, and he has a supplement company called Earthfed Muscle, I believe. But Dan is a coach that I, I really like and really look up to. He One, because he coaches the Throws year-round, and he also manages the strength programming for his athletes, which for me personally is, is the dream to just coach throwers and strength training year round just sounds amazing. And that's just something I would love to do. And, and t- he owns his own gym and I'm just very envious of his coaching setup. And it's something that I aspire to down the road, but he really turned me on to Dr. Bondarchuk, which is somebody that I'll probably talk a lot about you know, during different episodes. He's just somebody that I'm just incredibly fascinated with. I just took an incredible course. Um, by Derek Evely about him uh Dr. Bondarchuk Anatoly Bondarchuk is a was a Soviet throws coach one of the most successful throws coaches ever he was a former record holder in the hammer and he came up with this notion of transfer transfer of training he has three books about it i have the first one it's it's an it's a very intimidating and dense read but it basically boils down to certain things transfer over to the sport have a higher carryover and those are the things that you need to focus on and certain benchmarks once you hit will have a correlation and then certain things once you once you hit certain levels they don't they no longer carry over so for example so he's a throws coach primarily you look at throwing if you can squat 750 pounds getting your squat up to 800 pounds isn't going to add anything to your throws more than likely, I mean, if if it is, it's it's incremental because you're already so strong relatively to your body size and what that you know. There's other metrics that you need to work on, whether it be your vertical jump or your snatch or things like that. Um, not to get too much specifics about it, but that's the general notion. Is certain things carry over to sports better, and the you know, those are the thing you need to track and really focus on are the things that transfer, and then he has. What's, what's crazy about the Bonner Trick Method, which is why it's really difficult for some coaches and why it really fascinates me, is every single athlete has an individual picking program. So, you do the workout and then you also are working on the competitive exercise. For example, let's say it's shot put. Every day you train, you also do the competitive exercise. For the most part, depending on... I mean, he has multiple methods. I think it's like 14 or 16 different methods of training. But the most common are you you work out, you do the competitive exercise, and you track progress. And then there's... Uh, every individual goes through their own peaking process. And then through over time, through tracking the data, you can f- pinpoint roughly within two to three sessions how many workouts it takes for your athlete to peak. And then with that information you can use that to make sure your athlete peaks at major competitions which is you know it's huge for it's really huge for track athletes especially professionals because they don't have as many competitions as say a baseball player you know where you're playing multiple games a week so dane miller really is the one that you know turned me on to bonder chuck and i started looking into him and it, it it when i when i read about the things that he he did. And you know, his method, his methods, it, my mind was blown. And I was like, this is amazing. And then, you know, I took this course and I'm researching on it. And, you know, (laughs) I realized I can't use this, at least not right now. I, there are too many variables of my, um, with my athletes. I don't have a kid that just throws you around. Every single one of my throwers does another sport. So I can't account for that. And I can't manipulate all those variables that are really necessary for you know to have success in that kind of program am I going to use it in the future I sure hope so and when I get a kid that only throws I'm going to I'm going to try it and I'm going to use it and I'm hopefully going to see success with it but even though it's not you know it's something that I I love and I think it, it, it obviously it works um so many coaches use it and in fact, i shouldn't say that very there aren't that many coaches that use it but the ones that do have all had incredible success it works scientifically you know he has you know dr bonachuk has lots of charts and data to back up the things he said and then anecdotally himself obviously and then the other coaches that have implemented his style of programming they've all had success with it if it's done right so it works but it doesn't it's not practical for me so i'm not going to try to force a kid into the monitor system because it won't work. We just won't, it won't be productive. So I need to find other ways, you know, other strength training methods that work, which luckily there's a crap ton out there. I mean, there are so many options in every sport for everything you do, whether it's the strength and conditioning or the skill acquisition training, you know, know, I started out talking about the major debate between sprinters. There's so many ways to train sprinters, and so many sprint coaches have different programs, and they've all been successful. Not all, but, you know, there's so many coaches using different systems that have had success. Coach Holler has had crazy amount of success. He's got the state record holder in the 100. He did have the state record in the 4x1 until it got broke last year by Crete Monet. Mm. Um, he, had, he coached Marcellus Moore, who was on the the under... I want to say it was the under 18. I don't think it was the under 20. It might have been the under 18. It might, maybe it was under 20. But uh, the world record holding 4x1 with Matt Bowling was on it as well. So he's had incredible success with what he does. It works. And he has data to prove it. One of the beautiful things about his system is he does record, rank, and publish. So every sprint that they run is timed and recorded. All on Google Docs. He has loads of proof. Uh, empirical data that proves that kids get faster doing what he does coach Banna has had national champions multiple state champions he's a girls coach but he also does club coaching so he's had success on the guy's side as well so it works you know coach Holler one of his big selling points is that you know um, Clyde Hart who a lot of coaches have used over the years ruined high school track and field because the amount of volume that he did at Baylor, high school coaches would try to do, and they would just kill and break kids. And that's led to a decline in numbers. I, I don't know about the actual decline in numbers, but I do I, I do believe what he says. You know, you take a, a guy that's 100, 200 guy, and you say, hey, you're going to run a mile, and then you're going to do 16 200s or whatever. You know, with these extreme workouts, they're going to hate it. And a lot of them will quit, and they won't come back, which I don't blame them because that's not effective. But Clyde Hart coached world record holders. So, you know, it is effective, you know, in theory. So Michael Johnson went to Baylor. Michael Johnson, the former world record holder. Was Michael Johnson fast and a world record holder because of Clyde Hart or in spite of Clyde Hart? And that's, you know, that's something we'll never know, obviously, but that's just something that Coach Holler has said that's, you know, really thought-provoking. And, you know, you look at that example, but you could say that with your own athletes. Are your athletes successful because of you or in spite of you? One of the things that really challenged me as a coach, especially as a throws coach, starting out was when I, you know, when I, I don't remember who said it, but one of the things that we as coaches, one of the common mistakes we that we make is Thinking our athletes are successful because of us, instead of us being successful because of our athletes, you know. And I have a, I you know, I spoke about it in the last episode. I have a very you know a very personal experience with that. I thought I was a great throws coach because I had state qualifiers, but they weren't really improving because I wasn't a great throws coach at the time. And you know, I'm I'm not saying I am now, but I'm much better than I was, even a year ago, let alone five years ago. So, that is something. That you know, I find really thought-provoking. Getting back on, on topic though. Coach Manta, his individualization intimidates a lot of coaches, and if you don't think you can properly do that, then you shouldn't. If you don't, if you don't know how to write a program for each athlete, then you shouldn't. Well. I would recommend to do is maybe not necessarily feed the cats, but I would just do one program for your team, and then adjust as you as you go along. And one of the things you know that's, that's awesome and hope you know some coaching positions, you know, you don't have the job security that other, that others do, so maybe you don't have the time frame to do this. But the best thing you can do is just put something in, implement it, and then wait. If you hear something new that you like, something, you know, so like I did Feed the Cats last year. Let's say I fell in love with the critical mass system after listening to that debate on Saturday night. I'm still going to give Feed the Cats more, you know, you can't jump ship every time that something new presents itself. Because ultimately, guys, what you need to understand is almost everything you put in will work. In in you know, and that's in any... Any sport. It doesn't matter what offense you run in football. If you coach it well, it'll work. You know, the NFL is moving, obviously, to a very pass-heavy league, and that's trickled down to a lot of high schools. I graduated in 2013. In 2013, I'm sorry, well, my senior year, the 2012 season, we ran the ball 95% of the time, and we made the playoffs. I mean, it's a small school of Illinois football, I understand. But, you know, there's a notion around here that that doesn't work anymore, that the wing T doesn't work anymore. It's not true. I, you know, I have a state championship ring that says it still does, you know, in the 2010s. If now it worked because we had incredible athletes running it and we had really good coaches. If you take Sean Payton's playbook, you can still go 0-9 if you're not a good football coach. You can take... The, the going back to you know my expert area of expertise in track i say expertise very loosely by the way but going back to track you can take the best sprint program you can take coach hollers feed the cats or ryan banta's critical mass system because those are the two main topics of debate right now you can take both of those you can take their exact workouts that they do this day this day and this day and put it into your athletes if you can't coach it and coach the nuances of of sprint mechanics, uh, proper recovery, of all these things, it's not, your athletes aren't gonna be successful. So you need to decide for yourself, what am I going to to do and then commit to it? Give it time to grow and see if it works. You can't, you know, another personal example, just going back, I went up to a track uh, clinic. It was at Downers Grove North High School in the sub in the south southern suburbs of Chicago, and I went to listen to a, a man named Bob Niles. Bob Niles was the throws coach at Lake Park High School. Incredible throws coach. Probably I mean I, I guess I don't know this for sure, but I I believe he's the most successful throws coach in state history. He's had multiple state champions in the throws and shot and disc. Multiple guys over two hundred over uh, sixty feet. I believe one of it. One of his throwers is the unofficial state record holder in the two hundred. I believe he threw at Wisconsin. Don't hold me to that, but I'm pretty sure he's a state record holder. I know AJ Benenza has it online, but I, if I re, if I remember correctly, talking to him, he had a kid throw farther unofficially. But that's neither here nor there. But let, I you know I went up there to listen to him to see what could I do you know to strengthen up my throws pro or my Yeah, my throwers, because that's you know been something I've been really trying to hone in on and focus and get back to my roots and improve on, uh, as you know, far as a coach. And one of his uh, ideas that really struck with me was, as far as shot put goes, every single shot putter should rotate, and you should coach every shot putter to be a rotational thrower. And his, you know, his logic made sense. If they're working on rotational shot put, like obviously that's going to carry over to discus. Or if they're a discus thrower, they're going to be able to pick up the rotational shot put. I mean, there are differences, but a lot of the same mechanics carry over. And so if you're always working on rotational work, whether it's shot or disc, you're going to see faster improvements, which is true. It does. I mean, that does make sense. And then it's also if you're, you know, usually you have one throws coach. Some school, bigger schools have multiple, I understand. But it makes it easier for you because if you're if everybody's a rotational shot putter, then everybody's doing the exact same drills. You're watching the same thing. It's easier to coach groups. So I went back and I'm like, that makes so much sense. I, I'm going to try that. And then it took two practices to find out that doesn't work for me. You know, I had a senior come in, first time ever throwing. He had bulky tennis shoes. He could not rotate in, and he he ended up buying throw shoes. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think they came in like the second to last practice that we had this year. So hopefully he could return those. But, you know, he wasn't really able to rotate in the shoes he was in and, you know, where we were throwing inside. And he's a big, strong kid. He's power throwing, you know, mid 40s, 43, 42 feet pretty consistently with, you know, not obviously his mechanics weren't good yet. They were okay. You know. So I'm, I'm like, oh, I want you to rotate because I'm trying to get everybody to rotate. And then, you know, two practices in, I'm like, why am I, why am I trying to make him a rotator? He's only going to be here one season. So I showed him a very simple modified glide, and he was within a foot of state qualifying before the first meet. So, you know, that just, to me, I liked the idea. I tried it. It didn't work. So I threw it out. Next year, am I going to try to make everybody a rotator? No, because I know. Okay, it worked for him, and I can't deny the success he's had. And maybe it's it was something I was doing wrong as a coach, and I wasn't teaching rotational well enough to the beginners for them to pick it up. And I And I know. And I know. I'm smart enough to know that rotation takes a really long time to pick up. It's a very complicated, sophisticated event, and it's not easy to pick up. And I know even collegiate, you know, Division One collegiate athletes have a hard time making that switch sometimes from glide to rotation. But, you know, is it worth, is that a battle that I'm, like, that I think is worth fighting? If a kid's a good glider and can go to state to glide, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Will kids throw farther rotating? Yes. Pretty much everybody throws farther rotating. It's common knowledge and the glide is really starting to die down, die out. In high school throws, all the pros are rotating. There's really one elite level glider left you know as far as the men goes David Storl from Germany there are some good male collegiate gliders still and there's a lot of women you know Michelle Carter who was the 2016 Olympic champion she glides there are still some really good female gliders and there, you know like I'm saying there are still good gliders younger gliders that are coming up but you know when you're a young high school kid and you're watching Ryan Krauser spin and you know or Joe Kovacs Tom Walsh, you know, all, you know, the top six, seven guys in the world are all rotating. You, you know, you're going to not only as a coach, are you going to say, I need my kids to rotate because that's how you throw a fart. But as an like, athlete, you see that you're like, I need to rotate because that's what the best people in the world are doing. So here I am deciding that Bob Niles, one of the, you know, the most successful throw coaches in my state, one of the major things that he talked about in this clinic right off the bat it doesn't work now does that mean I don't listen to the other things he said absolutely not he said a lot of other great things that I've actually you know that I've taken and implemented and used and I will plan you know I will use next season hopefully there is a next season I guess you know there's a lot of what-ifs but assuming that we do have a season that I'm going to use with my throwers and hopefully I have more success but that one thing didn't work but that's one of the beautiful things about when you hear coaches present on new things is you can pick and choose. And that's something that's been really great, you know, for me is, you know, I'm listening to so many different ideas right now and differing opinions that you can pick and choose things. You know, nothing's an absolute. So you take this sprint debate that there was that I listened to last Saturday night. I love part of Feed the Cats. I love a lot of things about the critical mass system. And I, as a coach, have the ability to pick and choose things and try to marry them and blend them together. And that's what's going to lead to the most success. You know, you can't just take the cookie cutter thing. You've got to figure out what do you as a coach like, what makes sense to you, and what can you coach. From a, you know, a strength and conditioning thing, I love the Bondertruck system. I can't really use it, but I can use certain aspects of it, especially the, you know, the notion that kids have, you know, separate peaking. And that's something that a lot of coaches, I think, miss out on is track is really is, you know, probably one of the worst sports for this is, OK, the state track meet or the national track meet or whatever your big meet is, is on this date. So I count back and then I do the program and the kid is going to pe I know the kid's going to peak around this time. That doesn't always work. Kids peak differently. And that's something a lot of coaches don't seem to realize or just, you know, don't really consider. So I do, I love the individualization that the bondage system uh, incorporates, but I can't just use, you know, I can't do his workouts per se because I can't, I don't have the ability to properly implement his system to like the, the, the most successful way. So what else do I do? Well, personally, I'm a huge, huge believer in everything that Caldead says. I love everything he puts out. It's scientifically backed. It makes sense, and I just think it. I just I love what he does, specifically the triphasic system that he uh, came up with. If you don't know anything about triphasic training, hundred percent recommend it. It, the the triphasic training manual. It's can it's kind of you know it's a it's a it's a dense read, but it makes sense, and he has a lot. You know he has one of the great things that he's done is he has triphasic training for multiple sports. I have uh the triphasic training manual for football linemen for football players in general and also for throwers as well as just the the main literature the triphasic training manual. I love what he does and so I incorporate a lot of that but then you know going back to Dane Miller who I referenced earlier he does not like triphasic training and I don't know the specifics I've just listened to him speak I know he doesn't really believe in it or he doesn't and I know I know he doesn't use it but he, there are there are aspects of his training that he does you know specifically with Olympic lifting that I love and that I've used and that I've kind of blended that into what Caldeutz does with triphasic and I've kind of made a hybrid of you know multiple training systems and it's something you know that I'm I really enjoy and I and it it's worked I don't have a long period of data to prove that it works obviously I'm still you know <laughs> being a young coach and not having a whole lot of experience, but from what I'm seeing and the the results I'm seeing in the short term, it looks like it works. And I'm hoping to, you know, I'm going to keep working on it and develop it. And then, you know, when I hear something else, I'm going to take a part of that and put that in. And then, you know, the end result is I have this system that's my own per se, you know, that's just a conglomeration of other successful coaches systems. And it'll be something that works for me and works for the athletes that I coach specifically because we all have different kids. We're all coaching different people with different backgrounds, different environments, you know, different situations. So, we need to understand that what one coach does in Cal- in California isn't going to work for kids in Wisconsin just due to climate. You know, that's something. You know, there's so many variables that you need to consider that when you you know when you buy when you look at somebody and think is this going to work? Should I try this? You know, there's a lot of factors you got to consider. Going back to Clyde Hart, you know, high school coaches were using his system that he was using on Division I athletes and the best athletes in the country. You know, he was getting the best 400 runners in the country out of high school. And then, you know, and coaching those guys. So you can't use what he did on Michael Johnson to Timmy, who runs a 103-400. That just doesn't make sense, and it's not logical, and you're just going to hurt him same thing if you you know if you have big if you if like if you're a football team and you don't have a lot of speed you can't run the can you're not gonna have a lot of success with what the the 49ers are doing because they you know their 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 thing is they're the fastest team on the field or the chiefs for example you know basketball if you're a small school in the middle of nowhere and your center is five ten and he's the tallest guy on the team you can't play big ball. That's just not going to work. There's things that, you know, you've got to you've got tailor to the kids you have and then, again, to your ability to coach it. I don't know how to, you know, if you don't know how to coach Olympic lifts, don't have your kids do Olympic lifts. If you don't, if you come from a, a background where you don't know anything about the vertical pass offense, don't try to run the, you know, don't do it. Now you can learn and grow and, and and improving your craft over time implement these things but stick to what you know stick to your guns because it's ultimately what you're going to have the most success with just because something that worked for somebody else doesn't mean it's going to work for you and that's something that you know a lot of these coaches that i see coming up don't understand they take something that somebody else does that that's been really successful they try to implement it and it doesn't work and they're they're just confused and you know a lot i know a couple of coaches that have had this problem and they're like, well, you know, it didn't work. So that system's wrong. Well, it did work. You did it wrong. Or they internalize it and they're like, oh, I'm a bad coach. I don't know how to coach. And that's not always the case. You just need to be able to look at it objectively. When you see this information that you're given, does it work for me? Does it work for my kids? And that's, you know, that's what it comes down to guys. Um, I hope this episode was informational for you and that you got something out of it. We're in a period right now where people are learning and there's just so much information getting put out there especially you know right now for you know for, I guess for me specifically you know the track community track coaches community is very sharing anyway there I've never met a coach that's like no I'm not telling you what we do football basketball that's a different story you know because they think they're gonna steal that and beat them track I mean yeah we win track meets and you win state and you win conference but like one thing that I absolutely love about, being a track coach is the willingness to share information and ideas with each other just because we want to see kids succeed. If I if I have an athlete get second in let's say discus you know and this has happened in the last 2 years, you know, just a quick anecdote before I end. I have a, I have a kid, he's going to be a senior, his name's Adam. Very talented young discus thrower. I think he's going to do great things his senior year. He went down to a meet in Quincy, Illinois. And he pr as a sophomore. He threw one fifty seven two, and then his next throw, which was a foul, I you know I, we didn't measure it, but it was over one sixty, and it was an awesome day. He got second to a kid uh, named Jordan Johnson, who was the three A state champion that year by fifty feet. You know Jordan, I think threw one ninety, maybe maybe he didn't break one ninety that day. He, I mean, he had a pr that season of over two hundred, but he got second and he PR'd. and you know that's that's what was important. You know, it doesn't, you could have the, in football, you could have the best game ever, but if you lose, that's all you really care about. You know, it doesn't matter if you rush for 150 yards. If you got blown out, you're, how excited are you really? Whereas track, a PR is a PR, and that's the best thing in the world. For my next episode, I hope to have my first guest, so stay tuned for that. Feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at Coach McGackie. That's M C G H G H Y, Coach McGackie. DM me if you have any questions, anything you want me to talk about, um, ideas, anything. Guys, I love to network and connect, and I'd love to grow my network of coaching friends. So hopefully that can be you. And thanks again for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode.